0: hello and welcome to politics war room with james Carville. i'm al hunt what a week it's been we're excited to have two of the perfect guests to talk about everything great journalists tom etzel and ed Luce. they'll be with us in a minute it's going to be a terrific episode, so stay tuned. Remember, we take your questions at the end of each episode, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to @Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as possible. This episode is sponsored by The Great Courses Plus. James and I are big fans. Check out the link in the show notes, and we thank them for the support of the podcast. And thank all of you for listening. Please tell your friends and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, James. First, happy Veterans Day to you.
1: Well, thank you, thank you. And all the veterans all over the country. It, you know, always good to reflect on, you know, veterans and contributions, and to hope that we don't have any more combat veterans in any time soon. It's the greatest prayer yeah, we got.
0: You're right, James. This election, we talked about it last week, but now is it all. Uh, As we absorb it all, Uh, the the Democrats got the big one right. Our four-year national nightmare is over. Saturday morning, there were cheers all over blue America. Uh, Bells rang, horns honked, and everything. And, and, And Joe Biden, as we know, is a man of decency experience. He's an antidote to Trump. But he faces enormous policy and political challenges. Thank God he's there. But what a tough hand he was dealt. The failure to win the Senate, unless... Democrats can pull off an upset and win two Georgia seats in January. That's pretty devastating. Mitch McConnell always puts power and money first, his own power and money. The failure to flip state legislatures is going to be costly in redistricting. And maybe most of all, James, Trump was not beaten decisively. And that means he remains a huge force in American politics. It's a dark and ugly force. It dominates the Republican Party. It's not going away anytime soon. And I want to come back and talk about the immediate impact we're seeing on that
1: in Georgia. But first, give me your take on it all. Uh, look, it, it was like getting rid of him is like getting rid of a infected wisdom tooth. So that that's great. And I I, I kind of agree that it was disappointing you know, on in most all instances down ballot. I think this the woke people just really killed us. Uh, I it was on television last night with uh tim ryan the democratic congressman of ohio he said he ran nine points behind the he ran in 2018 in 2018 we had the perfect message we had the perfect candidates and it's all we had to do was was kind of recreate that environment and the, the whole defund the police movement and and that that, that people latched on to it you know they, they ran against us and it was it was pretty effective and you, you got to uh you know, I, I want to talk to Ed and Tom a lot about how we got 60% for the minimum wage in Florida and, you know, got 47% of the vote or 48. H- how did we win California by more than anybody in history in every one of these left-wing ballot proposals uh, went down? And that, I think the reason it went down is they didn't like the people that were pushing them or something. But this is not the the, the, the marriage between the, the woke and the Democratic Party, I don't think, can last. I really don't.
0: You're talking about really the AOC and yeah. to some extent the the, the Sanders Warren wing.
1: Yeah, and I, Sanders is, is is different. He doesn't come across like that. And he's you know he's an old guy. He's pretty consistent. You know, he, but bears he a kind of a more of a really blue collar message. And you know, I, I think some of the Sanders people will probably remain in the coalition. And then the AOC attacking the Democrats for not canvassing enough. Like, come on, you, you, your district probably got hit hard about a coronavirus and almost anywhere in the country. And you, you're telling Abigail Spanberg and Colin Alward and people like that, you didn't go out and canvass enough. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And it, it, it's, it's a, it's, a, it's a problem. And, you know, we don't have a very big majority in the house Now, I want to say this, because I'm trying to be an optimistic guy. It's not 2022, you know, we got two in two years, the Republicans have a, a very challenging Senate map, and they're going to have to be careful as to how they navigate this. It's not going to be just so easy that they can do what they've done in the past and just vote against everything. And, you know, Joe Manchin and Lisa Mikowski and, you know, Christian Cinema, you know, maybe Pat Toomey or Susan Collins, they're going to have a lot of power. I mean, a lot of power. Well,
0: they do, except don't forget Mitch McConnell determines what comes up. And, and that gives him a power. I, I think if you ever can get stuff to a vote, you may well be right. But I'm, I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. deeply worried yeah, about that I, Senate, I, which is I, why the stakes I, I, are so I am huge, too, but. Uh, in Georgia. You know, Mitch McConnell. Let me, let me yeah. give you. Okay. Go ahead. No, you go ahead.
1: Listen, Mitch McConnell is going to need things from Biden. All right? It just is. If Biden's going to need things from Mitch McConnell. And hopefully they, they can get some things done. But it, it, it's yeah. For a whole, one to two seats in Georgia would be great. But that you know, let's move on. It, it,
0: let me no. Let me. I want to stay on Georgia for a minute, not okay, so much yeah. that election, but but just to talk about. I think it personifies what I said earlier about how Trumpism lives. You know, there was a there was a primary debacle in Georgia last spring. Really went off a long lines. People didn't think their votes were. The general election really went surprisingly smoothly. Biden appears to have won the state. Both Senate races are going to a runoff. No one headed to 50%. uh, And everything really went well. Very few complaints. But Trump and his two lackeys, the Senate candidates, David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, are demanding the Republican, the Republican Secretary of State resign for failure to go after voting fraud. That's a lie. Pure and simple. But that's what you do in the world of Trump. I'll tell you what they're trying to divert, James, right now. they Both both those senators were selling stock back in in, in, in late January, February, and early March when they had inside information on how bad the pandemic was. That that, that they knew things were going to be bad. Loeffler, who is a multimillionaire, if not a billionaire, says she was cleared by the Senate Ethics Committee of any violations. James? I covered the Senate for a long time. The Senate Ethics Committee would clear the Boston Strangler if he were part of the club. From January 24th to early March, she started selling off companies, shares in companies that were really hurt by COVID-19 and buying stock of companies that make PPE equipment, which rose. Maybe her, her other Republican, David Perdue, did the same thing. Now, maybe it was just a coincidence. Maybe they had outside advisors making these buys and sells. Maybe, that's a reach, but maybe. But I have a question. What the hell were they doing selling stocks anyway when they're sitting in the Senate and they're so rich? But what they're doing in this, it's very simple. Fire the Secretary of State because then we, they won't be talking about, about our lack of ethics.
1: It well, works for Trump. It, it so happened that when we they're uh, called to be on the show, when we started the show, I was in conversations with people about how we're trying to design a campaign to go after that to lessen Republican enthusiasm, to say this is what Loffler and Purdue would do it. And there's a lot of people, I think, that really kind of did Mitt Romney in in 2012. And if, if, you know, if we can put some distance between them and Trump, we might, they might not. The question is, how many of these people are going to come out without Trump on the ballot? And if 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 we designed the right kind of program, and I was been working on it this morning, where we just run this kind of stuff out mostly in rural and small town Georgia, uh, it that because they're not going to vote Democrat, forget about that. But they they may decide to stay home, and that, that's because Trump, you know, he gets them out. He you know they 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 you know they don't like free trade. You know, all the money they made in China. I mean, Purdue's got real vulnerabilities there. And a, a rear guard action really bringing that, what, what you talked about, uh, is a strategy that is, is under deep consideration. Of course, James, the
0: concern is you're right. Trump brings them out. He also brings out the anti-Trump people.
1: Right. And, that's, and is that a concern? It, it is. If we, if we don't know. So polling is, I don't think, is going to matter. It's going to be 48-48. The, 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 the one question is, will they come out without Trump on the ballot? And conversely, will our people come out without Trump on the ballot? You know, our black share, we're not sure, but the best guess right now could change is 27 and a half. It should be 29 and a half. And I think that, you know, Stacey Avericks has got a, a whole lot of money. They're really organized, and, and you know, we got to push that in to get the share. When I talk about black share, I mean for every 100 voters, 27 and a half were black.
0: What it, did Joe Biden
1: get? I You got 92.
0: No, 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 but I assume he got Joe Biden in winning Georgia, apparently. He, he must have gotten, what, 28, 29,
1: 30% no, the it was. vote? It was just it was 27 and a half. The share was twenty seven and a half. He got ninety-two or something. Okay, okay. Okay. But but the share is is what counts the most. You you know what percent you're gonna maybe. Sometimes you get ninety-four, sometimes you get ninety-one, All right? But right. but the, the, if if you move the share up, you you move a lot. I mean you you've turned a battleship. And the, the from the preliminary evaluation it takes a little while to do this it, it was at twenty-seven and a half. that was not great and to to somebody like me that says that we have some upside potential and but the reason that the share was that low is you had such an enormous white turnout in the trump areas enormous and, and you're right i mean i say one word this whole election is that the, the I think we went from like 136 million to maybe 156 million and 57 million people vote. And the whole thing ran pretty damn smoothly. I mean, everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, Georgia was, I, you know, I'd I really complained about that I, I didn't get anything about people that well, we had to wait in lines. The vote count went smoothly. I mean, it, I think America, you know, in a time when you can't feel good about much, we conducted a a, a pretty, you know, election that was pretty fair and there's no big complaints it takes some time to count votes and you know they they came up with somebody dead person voted in florida find out it was a child and put a daddy deceased daddy's name on there something's ridiculous but but in in the georgia secretary of state who i'd previously been very critical of i i I, no one thinks that we get in a bad or anything like that it's of course trump gets Loeffler and Perdue to attack this guy. I, I don't know what yeah. effect that's going to have. Yeah.
0: Well, I hope it doesn't have any because it's a lie. And, and it's just, a, again, a, a, an attempt to divert. Uh, it's really, it's, it's stunning, and it shows something about Purdue and Leffler's character. We knew it about Trump. There, I mean, he is a Republican Secretary of State, a Republican Secretary of State. I mean, it's just, it is remarkable. And, of course, the previous Secretary of State is the now governor, and he was known primarily for purging black people from the rolls. Right. Uh, and that's what they want.
1: Right, yeah. And, but, but anybody should spend some time watching Fox. I did last night, and, and their claims of fraud are, are laughable. I mean, they're really laughable. Like six dead people voted in Wisconsin or not. They found that out I don't know if they did, but okay, take minus six. Take it away. I, I, it's really, it, when you know how well this election was conducted when you see what they come up with is evidence of fraud. My favorite was the kind of guy convicted of pedophilia with in, in, Rudy Giuliani at four, four seasons landscaping. I mean, you couldn't even make this up. It's so preposterous. <laughs> and then one poster worker says something who, who says, well, no, I didn't really mean it. And, and you know, whenever they file an affidavit, say, so you're willing to tell that to the FBI? Because affidavit doesn't mean anything. I can sign an affidavit say anything I want. They have tried
0: this everywhere. In Wisconsin, they said, 20,000 votes, it's a fraud. Let's go and find out, have a recount. Scott Walker, who is... To put it mildly, no left winger, former very conservative governor said, hey, you don't have a recount. You don't change an outcome with 20,000 vote margin. In Michigan, it's 150,000 and growing. And Pennsylvania is going to end up 70,000. James, they they don't have any choice. They're desperate. Uh, This guy does not want to leave office. But the danger is, and we'll talk to Tom Etzel about this, he's going to somehow convince people that this election was stolen, which is the
1: biggest lie of all. Yeah, according to Poland, 70% of Republicans, you know. I guess i kind of surprised it was that low. <laughs> At least 30 <laughs> don't, which is a lot mm-hmm. in, this, in, this, in this day and age, I, I promise you. I mean, it really is.
0: Well, we'll get into this later with, with, with Tom and also with Ed. Uh, but uh, the, the stakes in Georgia, and I will tell you, I think it's an uphill battle. To win two senate seats i really do i mean i would if i were a betting man which i am uh but i won't bet on this one uh i would i would bet against it but the stakes are so huge yeah mitch mcconnell a senate majority leader for two years really is a nightmare for the biden administration
1: yeah i don't i don't know i don't know that it's i don't know if it's uphill or downhill i, mean, I really don't it, Because there's no experience there's no anything like this it, 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 you know biden won by 14,000 votes, and we, we might lose both, we might split them, or we might win both. I, I don't think there's th- that we can use prior knowledge because it's all going to be how many of them turn out with him on the ballot and how many of us turn out without, without him on the ballot. I mean, it's just a simple question. I don't think there's five persuadable voters in Georgia right now. And I don't think Poland is going to be overly instructive. It might be, but this is a what's the Latin? This is sui generis. This this has never happened before, and there's no amount of political expertise or experience or, or, or that that gives us much guidance here, other than you know it but then usually it, you know it's kind of, well, it all comes down to turnout Al, I'll tell you that well kind of this is <laughs> a broken clock is right twice a day to, to convince wisdom. Yeah, I think is probably right
0: well I I think you you're dead on and I strongly suspect that with the with Warnock, the pastor of Martin Luther King's church and the opportunity to elect the first black uh, Senator uh, from Georgia, obviously, and would be the only, um, you know, would be the first, I think the first black Senator ever from the South. My guess is African-Americans are going to turn out. And the key for Democrats will be, do those suburbanites in Gwinnett and Cobb, uh, do they turn out the way they did on November 3? Um, I'm, I, I, it's unanswerable, but
1: that to me probably will be important. But from what everything that I am told and everything I can see Warnock is a really good candidate. He is really, really good on his feet. You know, how much that's going to bring you. But but, then I saw Osroff, who is a much improved candidate, but when he ran for that special seat in the Georgia 6th Congressional District. Uh, so our candidates are pretty good. Theirs are not that great. That Our candidate quality is, is higher than theirs, and they have – this, they're both billionaires. They have some ethical things and they've made some decisions. You know, Kelly Loft gave Hillary Clinton money. She hired Stacey Abrams. I mean, she was, you know, a country club Republican who was repulsed by Donald Trump. And then she became, you know, fanatically there. Well, we got to see if we can get under that and and try try to Point out that to people. Not that not that we're gonna get very many people to vote for us, but they just may say it's too goddamn much trouble. Just you know, there's some chance of that. there's some real vulnerabilities here. And the question is, is can we put together a campaign in this period of time, raise a sufficient amount of money and and hit the right scene? And that's literally what, what I was working on. When we started the show. When the show is over, I promise you that's what I'm gonna be working on for the rest of the day.
0: Hey, in this age, it's more important than ever to develop ourselves and our minds. The favorite
1: ways to do that is learning with the Great Courses Plus. It's got thousands of courses and lectures covering anything you can think of. Everything from the Civil War to molecular biology, or even the three-point shot in basketball. I'll take uh, the Civil War and three-point shot in basketball out and leave molecular biology to you.
0: Well, I may pass on that, but I'll tell you what I am going to do, where they, they've got a great course on how to train your puppy, which having my daughter having an 11-week-old puppy, we are relying on the Great Courses Plus.
1: Yeah, you can find not a couple things that you're interested in. You can find 10 things you're interested in there. I I, I mean, the the number of courses that they have and the quality, you know, they go out and they seek the the best professors and most knowledgeable people, but not just that. They're like really good communicators. You know, it must be a real tough sorting out process they have to, to be on that I, so that, 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 I love that thing
0: start your journey with the great courses plus your future self will thank you <laughs> sign up with our special url the great dot com slash war room when you go there you'll get a full month of unlimited access free actually free go now to the great plus dot com slash war room that's all one word that's the great courses plus dot com slash war room look for the link in our show notes Hey, James, we have two of the Globe's most insightful journalists, and I mean the Globe. Both are repeat offenders on this podcast. Ed Luce of the Financial Times, Washington correspondent, former foreign correspondent, and Tom the the New York Times columnist, former Washington Post political reporter, uh, you can't get any better than Tom and Ed. Ed, let me start with you before Tom tells us uh, about how how things may be unfolding uh, badly for the country. Uh, but but tell me, what's the general sense overseas of the Biden victory and
2: what it signifies for policy? Um, I think it depends where you're looking. Uh, and thanks, by the way, to both of you for having me on. It's always a great pleasure. Um, uh, depends what, who you're asking. I mean, if you're asking Putin or Bolsonaro or Erdogan, Uh, I'm not sure you'll get a a very upbeat response. Um, If you're asking the populist parties in Europe or indeed the governments of Hungary or Poland, I don't think you'll get a very positive response either. But pretty much everywhere else across the democratic world and much of the uh, non-democratic world uh, or the semi-democratic world, this is an unmixed blessing. Uh, I think the conversation... Is more about um, you know whether whether Trump can sort of leave a scorched earth um, uh, situation for Biden or not, or even sort of more outlandish discussion of uh, uh, you know an auto coup going on, going on in, in Washington. And I know Tom has written very insightfully about about what what Trump's playing at.
0: We're going to get to that in in uh, in just a minute. Did, does it matter who Biden taps for top level jobs like Secretary of State, or given his extensive uh, experience, uh, is it is it really uh, not as relevant as it might be with a with a uh, a more newcomer like an Obama or, or even a Trump? I suppose I think there's
2: an understanding that it's pretty much a unified, it's a bipartisan sort of foreign policy platform behind Biden, um, because you've got the Never Trumpers and a lot of moderate Republicans mm-hmm. and. You know, some talk of people like Mitt Romney being considered for secretary of state. I don't think that would happen, but I'm sure that would uh, send, a, send a strong signal to Putin, for example. Um, I think there's also a sense that if Mitch McConnell retained, if the Republicans retain control of the Senate, then there are certain people who are probably not going to be nominated for um, confirmable jobs, such as Susan Rice for secretary of state. Uh, um but broadly speaking i think they look at the field they look at um you know nick burns bill burns tom donnelly um um they look at um tony blinken they look at a, a very experienced and fairly uh, multilateralist range of choices that that joe biden has and none of them none of them um worry worry a sort of series of allies and partners who've got used to Mike Pompeo. Um, in the last couple of years, that anything is a dramatic improvement.
0: Tom, as Ed mentioned, uh, there are people who say, "My God, could they have a coup?" Uh, I, I still think that is not very likely. Biden won this thing. Fair and square, it wasn't even that close. But you wrote a very compelling piece that the times ahead still could be quite quite dangerous.
3: Um. I know that uh, you and uh, James are skeptical of this. I am pretty skeptical, too, that it will happen full blast. (laughs) But uh, if Trump can continue his pursuit of the presidency uh, through January 20th, there is a very uh, worrisome scenario that at that point, no one would know who the president was, who has national command authority, and it would leave the country in a very vulnerable position. Uh, It is an unlikely proposition that will happen, but uh, I have to say that uh, Donald Trump's presidency has been a series of unlikelihoods, and I I would not dismiss this possibility. To pull off what he wants to do, he's going to have to start lining up Republican legislatures to uh, support his uh, uh, view about who who won in places like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And uh, where he does, where the Republican Party does control the legislature, and the legislature does pick the electors to send uh, to the Electoral College for the re- for the real vote, uh, uh, th- this whole process needs to be watched very carefully.
0: Tom, isn't it going to come down to uh, the 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 courage, the patriotism, if you will, of leading Republicans? Already, uh, former President Bush, Mitt Romney, Dan Quayle have said this is over. But you look at people like Lindsey Graham, and they are just kowtowing to whatever Trump tells them to do, which, you know, demonstrates anew as if we needed his hold over the party. Who are the people that you think would make a difference if they said, wait a minute, we can't go this far?
3: Well, the most critical one would I would think be Mitch McConnell, uh, who has has not been willing to say that. Then basically the rest of the Republican Senate leadership, um, that would be crucial. I, I don't th- there's no sort of uh, uh, poobah on the Republican Party side who has this kind of uh, uh, magical say authority, no sort of Robert Strauss of, of the GOP. Uh, uh, they. And the other serious issue is any Republican who does that, Mitch McConnell actually would be the best position because he just won election for another six years. Uh, but any Republican who does go to Trump and say, uh, uh, look, buddy, basically you lost, you have to give up. Uh, that person really endangers uh, a revolution among Trump supporters in their state, and endangers their ability to their their ability to win the next primary, uh, which is why McConnell, who has six years to wait, would be positioned best to do that. So would John well, Cornyn, though he just won. Uh, yeah, I
0: hope I I hope that McConnell would do it. I I'd hate to I hate to rely on Mitch McConnell for anything. The one thing I'm pretty sure of, Tom, is he's not going to do it before the Georgia primary on uh, Georgia runoff rather on January five. Hopefully, uh, if it's still relevant, he'll do it after that. Uh, James Carville,
1: so, uh, I want to get both of your reaction to this. There was a story in the Post by a journalist named Shane Harris who I point out is a Blake Boris grad. But I looked him up. He's a serious guy. Been doing this for a long time. And he had like six or seven people on the record, all right. Not on background, or you know, not attribution, saying They're scared to death that Trump's going to give up the nation's secrets. Did, did, did either well, both of you Al, you've been around a long time too. Y'all have more experience in this than you know any three people I know. I mean, my side has always been political, but I have never seen a story like this for attribution, uh, saying that the president. Is a is a security risk to the United States? If I'm missing something here, or was this a bigger story than than it's getting credit for?
2: I think it's fair to say that inadvertently or otherwise, Trump has already given out a few secrets as president. Um, he's repeated in public things that are in his presidential daily briefing, which have caused conniptions in the national security community and intelligence community here. And I can't state this as fact, but from what I understand, caused some editing of how the presidential daily briefing is presented to Trump. What Trump said in private to various leaders, including Vladimir Putin, um, you know, about anti-ISIS operations, about advanced planning to pull out of Syria, etc. all of this is sort of in the mix. I think the great hope here with Trump it's because he didn't really pay much attention to the presidential daily briefings because they'd already had to grossly simplify what was presented to him and reduce it to one page with pictures and a few bullet points and present any insights as one that came from him rather than from the intelligence community. Um, the, the saving grace here is that he probably can't remember most of them. And therefore, even if he were prepared to use um, key secrets as a weapon or as a tool of revenge. Um, his memory might fail him.
3: Uh, <clears throat> I think they uh, they had to hire Marvel Comics to pr- to uh, produce the presidential daily briefing. Uh, the only way they could get his attention, and even that didn't work. But uh, I think Ed is generally correct. But but it is true. But but it's also true that Trump has a record of disregarding national security whenever he, on impulse, not even when it's just in his to his advantage. He he, he does not have uh, a sensitivity to this this subject, and his history on this score, as Ed noted, is pretty spotty. Uh, and you can argue that uh, as some have that his his. Presidency was a national security risk in that he was so tied to various dictators, and particularly to Russia, that he was not representing the interests of the United States uh, as best they should be under circumstances uh, uh, that came up, and that he was disregarding the interests of uh, our allies, NATO, and otherwise. Uh, in a fashion that again undermined national security. So I, I think basically he doesn't care, and uh, so there there is a real risk.
1: Yeah, I mentioned the fact that he's heavily in debt, and you know his son-in-law probably remembers a lot. And I I would not put it past him to sell that information to the Russians. And I don't think you I, I don't think anyone any either one of you would say that that's a far fetched idea, James. Uh, So, Tom, I want to go to you. I I think the woke people really hurt the Democrats. And there's a contentious Zoom House Democratic caucus. What's the future of this marriage between the woke
3: and the liberals? Uh, I think it's, it's one of many, but probably the most serious liability the Democratic Party now has. The the defund the police theme uh, was allowed through really mismanagement to become, to be perceived as a policy of the Democratic Party when in fact it was not a policy of the Democratic Party. Uh, But the woke there, the abolish ICE, Uh, Proposals that came up earlier, the uh, um, uh, this whole set of values uh, has shaped the views apparently of a lot of voters who were in the middle, and they're the ones who voted for Biden at the top of the ticket because he seemed like a regular guy, not not a woke Democrat, but then voted Republican uh, down for Congress and for Senate thinking I, basically voting on the perception of the democratic party as off the charts and uh this is a serious problem and it's all the fight is going on it was, there was the 3 hour phone call that Nancy Pelosi had with the whole caucus there it's it's in the newspapers uh guy whose name i can't pronounce had a, a long And not alone had an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal of all places. Though I think the Wall Street Journal is probably encouraging this fight. Uh, It's it's a nasty issue and it's a it's a serious problematic one. The what makes it particularly problematic is that the woke side claims to be morally righteous, and that adds a whole tone and tenor. That really puts people off and makes uh, if you're going to be accused, which is now happening to some extent, of being racist because you take the stands that you do and you want to push the party towards the center. uh, That's getting really nasty, and it shows the way the word racist has become abused as a accusation. And uh, at any rate, it, it, I I don't know what the future holds for this. I, so,
1: uh, Ed, Ed there's a, a, you have an example in your country of the Labor Party, starting with Michael Foote writing the longest suicide note in history to Jeremy Coleman endorsing the longest suicide note in history and has rendered that party irrelevant almost. If you, if you watch this with your background, you watch this happening here in the United States. How, how do you think the Democrats should
2: deal with this whole woke crowd? It's it's a it's a really important question. And if Trump weren't sort of playing a reality TV coup sort of fantasy, then I think we we would be talking about um, two things: one, you know, a, a divided government, but second, a divided Democratic Party. Um, because the the meeting that Tom mentioned was a very, very heated one, and there was shouting on it, which is not what you normally get after a victory. Um, But, of course, the Democratic Party as a whole didn't win a victory last week. It was really, other than the presidency, a victory um, for the Republicans. Um, And I think it's generational. It's it's also generational on the left in Britain. Uh, The question that we should be asking here is how after a presidency like this um and um a pandemic that's been so grotesquely mismanaged as it has by Donald Trump he could still get 47 48% of the vote including um the majority of working class white voters um, and i think a lot of, a lot of the answers are here is going to be that there are elites who are making them feel bad about themselves, um, um, who are calling them racists, um, and who are saying that their time is over, that they bear ancestral responsibility um, for the racist, the structural racism that's going on in this country. That term structural racism, you know, apparently caused a Google spike. People searched for it in late August, uh, you know, in the millions. What, What does structural racism mean? um and clearly that's not a good way of winning people over to a broad based coalition to uh, reboot the economy and make it a fairer economy and a more meritocratic society so i worry a great deal about this because as tom mentioned there is a, a, an acute intolerance for dissent um amongst uh, in the woke culture uh, i you you just need to look at the new york times and the debates in the last few months um, the 1619 project, uh, I think, um, is a really good case in point. Um, and, and as a Brit, I should be really in favour, by the way, of the 1619 narrative, because it, it argues that the American Revolution happened in order for America to continue slavery, because Britain was, um, you know, turning abolitionist. It actually happens not to be a very accurate picture, or at least a, a highly incomplete and contestable view, according to professional historians. But if you dispute the 1619 line, um, then you you risk being branded as a racist, a patriarchist, or whatever. This is a nonsensical way for the left to rebuild itself um, in the 21st century. We should be deeply thankful Biden has won, but uh, whoever replaces him is not going to win if the party goes further down this line.
1: I, hey, James, I agree. Just want to make one. one I want to make one could... point, Al. I want to make one point here. Yes, back yes, to Ed's sir. point. I read the Adam Hasiel book about the British anti-slave trade movement, and it actually a lot. Some of its inspiration came from America, mm-hmm. right? It's so so. The the they, they, the idea that there were not anti-slavery people in the United States, you know, particularly the Quakers, who were very very influential in in in, in, in Britain. In that campaign to end the, the slave trade. And I, I agree with you. It's just a little point of history that I, I, I want to point out. Okay, Al, to you, please. I, I,
0: you. I got a couple for Tom, but Ed, first let me ask you right now, today, you're Benjamin Netanyahu, you're, you're um, uh, MBS in Saudi Arabia. What are you thinking and how? How, how great is your um, uh, decline in influence
2: with America? <laughs> well, um, Netanyahu is nothing if not supple and versatile. It was He was one of the first out of the starting blocks with, hey, Joe, we're great friends. Um, I, I mean, Bibi has been reliant on Trump. Trump has been the gift that's kept on giving. Um, and I think that Netanyahu's sort of paced with the Israeli people that He's got his man in the White House, and therefore you should keep me in office here, even though I'm being investigated up to the eyeballs. I think that case has just been dramatically weakened. Um, MBS, uh, I think the one country in the world that has the most to worry about with this change of administration is Saudi Arabia, Um and deservedly so. Uh, quite sort of what that will mean in practice is is another question. I think, that, you know, the debates within the very large Biden camp are ongoing. But Saudi Arabia um, is, 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 is seen in a very different way than it was even five years ago.
0: That is a good thing. Tom Edsel, uh, you were pressing in about this election beforehand, warning that it could be closer than people thought. What is your early take on Georgia? I know we've never had anything quite like it, but what does your gut tell you
3: on Georgia?
0: Yeah, the two races down there.
3: I uh, I think the odds are on the Republicans. They always are, especially in a uh, uh, a runoff when you don't have the national campaign to help carry any Democrat with turnout. But in this case, it's not. It's going to be a different ball game. Uh, If I had to bet, I would bet on the Republicans winning, but I I, I don't think the odds are going to be that strong. Um, uh, The Democrats have a shot, and uh, Stacey Abrams is going to be probably the key player to watch in this and see how successful she is in sustaining uh, the, the voter mobilization and voter uh, registration program that she has initiated. Um, but it's going to be a real dogfight. And uh, uh, it'd be great to be a political reporter in Georgia for the next... Uh, oh, wow. Uh, ...till Jan- uh, January 5th.
0: Never never had
3: anything like it.
0: Tom, we all know the exit polls uh, have lots of flaws, and they have to correct them later. I don't believe the exit polls that say that Trump got 12 percent of the African American vote or 19 percent of, of of male uh, of black males. When you look at places at, at places, whether it's the South or North that you know are heavily black, it just doesn't indicate that. But he clearly did much better than anyone thought among the among Latinos among Hispanics. What's your theory?
3: Uh, well, the Hispanic vote. In Miami is is explainable through the notion of uh, socialism uh, and the defund the police in combination. What was going on in South Texas? I, I there needs to be a lot more work figuring out what's going on there. Uh, uh, what this really does, though, is inspire the Republican theologists to begin to argue that there's the potential for a Biracial or multiracial working class party—that's that would be the Republican Party, exactly countering uh, the Democratic premise. And uh, I don't know how far it will go, but it does give momentum to the kind of strategy that basically both a Tom Cotton and a uh, Josh Hawley uh, would like to premise. Their potential presidential campaigns on, and whether there's the germ of, of a real potential coalition here, uh, pretty iffy. But it, once you have a goal in mind, it really helps a party to mobilize and to, it, it gives momentum to a party to have a, a, at least something of a vision. And, uh, I, I, in that respect, I think Democrats should be worried about what the future holds for them in maintaining their very, their very difficult and in many ways, fragile coalition uh, going into the future.
0: And the aforementioned Cotton and Hawley are shrewd enough to throw some race card issues in there too. So they won't, uh, ignore that constituency. James Carville. Uh, <clears throat> wrap it up with two, these okay, two fabulous uh, guests.
1: So I, I think there are two significant things here. First of all, the minimum wage, the $15 minimum wage in Florida passed with 60% of the vote. All right? With 60%. That tells me that people are open to government interventions to improve their lives. The second thing is Biden carried California, I think, by more than anybody in history, in every one of the liberal ballot measures went down to defeat. I I, I don't know exactly. You know, I'm, I'm still trying to unpack what it means, but I think there's real significance in these two facts. Uh, I'd like to get
2: Ed and Tom to react to that. Um, was it every one of the liberal ballot measures? Was it every single one? I, it was most
1: yeah. of them. I, I, most
2: of them did, yeah. yes. Yes. Uh,
1: uh, maybe there's some I'd be wrong. I'd, uh, uh, let's just use, let's say most yeah. to be precise, because you're journalists and I'm political people. We, we'll listen with the facts. <laughs>
2: um, I think those are uh, two sides of the same coin. I mean, uh, California rejected the affirmative action um, ballot initiative. Um, and it, um, as you say, Florida upheld the $15. I, I, I think there is a strong message there um, that it, people. Um, are prepared to, are very happy to look at economic populism. But the idea that there is um, justice in simply basing your um, student acceptance or whatever it might be on race is something that's much more controversial to people. Barack Obama at the beginning, or maybe it was just before his presidency during the campaign said something to, along the lines of, Sasha and Malia don't need affirmative action. But there are poor kids of all races, including white and black, poor kids in Kentucky whose place they might take. And we should, we should look again at this. And I think that speaks to a natural sense of economic justice and social justice that most people would intuitively agree with. Um, so I think there is a lot. I think you're right, James, to, to emphasize these kinds of very clean findings as being very significant.
3: Uh, I agree, actually. I thought it was, it is very interesting and I hadn't thought of that. <clears throat> I think one of the things that shows, well, a few things, it shows that policies that are, have universal application can gain strong support a- across the two parties, whereas ones that are directed to pr- particular constituencies uh, do not get strong support. The reverse of that is uh, Republican tax policies that benefit the affluent. Don't get strong support. Uh, The other issue that's very important under this, too, is that it shows that, that in fact, a lot of Trump supporters are conflicted. They are Republicans on values issues and a sense of which party values them more, but they are economically pretty liberal. They're a very substantial number of white working class voters on basic economics, should the government spend more, should the government uh, intervene more, Social Security, Medicare, all of these issues, they are fundamentally liberals on those issues. And uh, the the inability of Democrats to reach them on those issues is the big question. And those two poll results uh, are really, are, are intriguing in this respect.
1: Well, I never hear another phase in my life, hearing Tom Etzel says that James Carville thought of something I did not might be my finest hour as a human being. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. No, I was. Yeah, yeah, I, I, was yeah. I am impressed with that.
0: Seal it now, James. We don't know if it'll happen again. Yeah, I don't know we either. Know. Yeah, I'll are going to go. We're going to have Tom Etzel back on the show. We're going to have <clears throat> Ed Luce back on the show because you have both enlightened us. <clears throat> They're no two better guests. Uh, it's a it's a difficult time. But thank you both so thank much. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, James, we have some good questions this week. Uh, I want to start off with Howard from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Who who asked the question? A lot of people are asking, "Why did Trump outperform the polls?" He posits, "Was it having a stronger ground game and Biden's reluctance to travel as much as he would have if the pandemic wasn't going on?"
1: It it, it I, yes, it, all of that is it, it, is true. But I think what what happened was, if you know, the the anti police, the 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 socialism, the everything that they did. I I think it it broke through at the end. And, you know, we we wanted to say the Iowa poll was an outlier and anything. I think it, to Ann Seltzer's credit, when we look back, I'll say that she picked something up. And this is the second time that it's kind of broken that way. And I, I think there is something fundamentally wrong with Democratic messaging. And I think we ha- we ha- we got it right in 2018. I think Biden, for his part, got it mostly right in 2020. Uh, but uh, people for for some reason just kind of backed off at the end.
0: Yeah, and, no, I agree, and I, I I think that was the prime thing. It may the lack of a grand game may have hurt a little bit in places like eastern North Carolina, but you are much more uh, on target and on the polling. I mean, Nate Cohn had a big piece about it this morning in the, in the Times. I wish he would have credited Ann Selzer, because as you say, she's a, I was a little skeptical at that poll, and, it, and I should have learned she worked with me for eight years. Don't be skeptical of Ann Selzer. Uh, she really did. Uh, she got it right. Our next question is from Susan from San Diego, who, says, who asks, is there any way to outmaneuver McConnell or undermine his, her words, although I agree, malignant control, Is there anything that could prevent McConnell from just sitting on legislation? Susan, that is such a good question. And the only answer I can give is two, as in two seats in Georgia. Uh, The way the Senate rules work, the majority leader has enormous power over the calendar. And uh, certainly McConnell uh, is going to exercise that. James points out that he needs some things, so occasionally he might relent. But he's going to be a nightmare unless those two seats are picked up in Georgia.
1: Yeah, it, 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 we're got to pick up the two seats in Georgia. And remember, we, we go to post again in two years. So we might we might have a tough two years. But we're going to have an easier time the next year. I mean, there's a lot of politics left to play. And, you know, a 51-52-48 a, a margin, is, is, you still can do it. But he, he's going to have to be a pretty good—he has a good wrangler to keep everybody on board. He can't lose much. Uh, so you know we'll see, and and there are going to be things that Biden they're going to need from Biden. It's not like there's nothing that they're going to want, and yeah. hopefully Biden will have the statecraft and way to, to to maneuver through this and get some things done. But it is discouraging. I don't want to kid anybody here. This this was a very very discouraging thing that we did not win the Senate. It's uh, upset James
0: um, Paul from Racine, Wisconsin. And and you know the answer to this because you've dealt with them. What happens to these disaffected Republicans
1: after the election? Oh, uh, well, first of all, they're not they're not going back to the Republican Party. There was some hope that Trumpism would be defeated. That was the grand right. hope. Well, no such thing happened. Uh, I, I, Don Jr. and Kellyanne are going to run the Republican National Committee, which of course they'll just use it as a grift. They'll just make money on it. They're raising money for the recount, and the, the fine print says that the money doesn't even go to the recount. All right, they're going to keep stealing with both hands. Now, what you don't know, what you don't know, and I, I, I can't emphasize this enough, what happens when the very real possibility, I, I mean the very real possibility that he's indicted by the Manhattan DA or the New York Attorney General. What effect does that have? How convincing is that case? How much does that, what does that cause in the United States? This is a very, very real proposition. This investigation is very, very real. And, and it's,
0: it's not a federal investigation, so he can't pardon himself. He's going to pardon everybody and himself if he can. But this has, he has no jurisdiction over that. And by all, just from what we know of the case... When you just look at what the New York Times has published on his tax returns, man, I'd hate to be in his shoes in that case. And, and, uh, it, but,
1: yeah, and also the, the investigating that foundation, which was a giant right. grift. And remember, Steve Bannon is indicted. He's in, he's in serious legal jeopardy. Brad Parcell is being investigated. There's only one person that they can turn on to stay out of jail. Right. There's only one. I mean, yeah. I'm. mean, they got, and, and he's got to testify in that E. Jane Carroll suit. He's got $400 million. The, I can't, I will talk to Tom and, and and Ed about this. The Shane Harris story in the Washington Post with like six national security people on the record by the name. All right, by name.
0: Okay, let's go. Let me, let me go. Uh, we, we, we're, our Sydney, Australia fan club is written in. This is Gerald. We said, should Democrats be concerned at their apparent inability to appeal much better to working class uh, Americans, white working class, particularly in rural America? Look, uh, James, you were engaged in an effort that certainly made some progress, but not enough. Not, I mean, just overall, the white working class, rural America went almost as strongly for Trump as he did before. There's a lot of work that Democrats have to do there. You go to messaging and uh, I'm looking at places like North Carolina and Georgia. There's no nobody who would be more helped by Medicaid expansion than some of those white working class citizens, and they all voted for Trump.
1: Yeah, we did do better. We ran a big project, and we did do better in Pennsylvania. We did do better in Michigan, and we did do better in Wisconsin. And, and the point I, I would make to everybody is you don't have to do much better to change sea level. And we have to realize that. And if you look at a place where we didn't have specific programs in Iowa, we did much worse. But but to not engage, you know, you call working class. I, I, I hate that. You know, I, I understand it. But but black, you know, black people, brown people, they're working class. But you know, everybody works. Right. But you know, particularly among white working class, and you. But we did show, and we're going to have a lot of evidence that we that you, by by being there and having a presence. You can make a difference, and a difference is just more than a T-90 bit.
0: Right. J- James, this is a question you can answer, and I can't. Chris in Seattle, Washington, she wants to know about the upcoming Senate runoffs. That's plural in Georgia. She said, I'm physically too far away to go down there and help. What What can
1: I do? Where can I send money? Candidates, right. DNC, what do I do? I, I would give the money right to the candidates. I always recommend that, unless you could, you know, you're going to give you know, tens of thousands of dollars that you can't. But if, if, you, if you have, I think it's 2,800, so you have 2,800 and 2,800 is what? Uh, 5,600. 6, 5,600. 5,600 if you go if to this, LSU. Yeah, if you go, yeah, 5,600. So if you want to give that much, I'd give it right to the Warnock campaign. I'd give it right to the Osaroff campaign. If you want to give money, the, 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 the broadest use is to give the money to the campaign. All right, you you can give it to the party, or you can give it to other things, but there, there's some restriction. So I would advise anybody to, if they're going to donate, donate directly to the campaign. Maybe there's a way that you can look up that maybe a lot of people send emails or they do phone calling from home. Uh, they they maybe you can get a call list. You know, you know, I, I, I yeah. that's not my end of politics, but if you look on the site of the Georgia Democratic Party. They might have, right. hey, what can you do, yep. uh, investigate yep. that. But by, my recommendation, unless you're a mega donor, is if you're going to give money, just give it right to the campaigns because it, it, it has the broadest. They can use it for television. They can use it for Geo TV. They can use it for, for anything they want.
0: Here's a really important question from Connor. Connor, Connor is a 25-year-old Democrat who just finished working on a congressional campaign that lost to a QAnon conspiracy theorist in Colorado. Oh, I know the uh, race third and district, the yeah. person who won was a, was a, was a nutbag. I think Connor is asking, okay, what do I do now? I mean, obviously dispirited, and what do we do about the disinformation uh, that was so prevalent out here? Connor, let me say a couple things to you first. <clears throat> the most famous... A uh, political consultant in America in the last 40 years, lost a lot at the start, and he went on to fame, glory, and to be the co-host of Politics War <laughs> You know, stay at it. Stay at it. Don't give up. You'll win the next time or the time after that. It was, I'm sure, a great experience. You had the better candidate. On disinformation, I just think the most important thing is to get out what they're saying. Sometimes people look and say, Oh my God, what they're saying is such a bunch of shit, if you'll pardon the expression, uh that you know, we don't even want to uh, you know, honor the the, the 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 lies they're telling. That's wrong. Put it out there, expose it.
1: James Yeah, kinda I would say this. That there, there are two two kinds of people that work on campaigns. And those are people who work in campaigns and say they lost. And they're generally referred to as political professionals. They are people who work on campaigns and say they never lost, and they're generally referred to as liars. All right? And, and that's just the kind of way it is. On the misinformation and what they put out, preparation and anticipation. They signal everything they're going to do. And what what you need to do is say, well, all right, they're going to say this, you know, we're going to say this, they're going to say that, then the third volley is, is the one that you want to control it to the extent that you can. And when you know that they're going to come out with something, you know, if they know they're going to say you defund the police, you run an inoculation ad. That that That's a gold thing, but it generally works. Yeah. And yeah. we did not do, the, our convention did not have, no way, in the, I am not a big fan of the Democratic Convention of 2020. The only thing I liked about it was Biden's speech. I, I I, I just didn't think, you know, we didn't, why we did not do, you know, events with, with, with the, the tons of police around the country are non-white. Tons of them. The most integrated institution in the United States is high-end high urban policing. And we didn't, you know, Biden certainly never went along with that. But and I don't think Harris helped us at all on, on that issue, at all. James,
0: and, we have time for one more question, and that is Ellen from Munich, New Jersey. And she says there's a lot of talk about a coup the Republicans are planning, you know, uh, all the way from having the electors uh, commandeered to vote for the Trump electors and places that Biden won. How plausible is
1: this? You know, I was freaked out about that a little bit. It's not really that plausible. And, and there's starting to be an acceptance. Yeah, uh, did it, it, you you know I guess this is like with, with with Trump. It's like if you're fishing and you got two hooks in the fish, you you got to get it in the boat. But you know it's coming in the boat, and I, I yeah I don't think it's very plausible. I really don't.
0: Yeah, I I agree. First of all, it's a it's a it's a really weak case, uh, both legally and 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 this time the Democrats. Uh, have the best lawyers uh, in the world. Yeah, uh, it, Seth but, uh, Waxman, Walter Dellinger, Don Varelli, they ain't going to get an lawyered, And it's a weak case politically. Right. The, the the former governor of Wisconsin said, you know, <laughs> give it up. The former governor of Michigan, Republicans these are, said give it up. Tom Ridge, the former governor of Pennsylvania, said no way. So it's a it's a bad case, Ellen. Everybody it's, worries, but don't worry too much about yeah, it.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, people, are, let, let the lawyers worry about it. I agree, and they're very worried about it. So, but if and you're right, our lawyers that they're plentiful, that they're competent, and they're just you know the other thing is they don't have anything. They, they yeah. got to have something, even if,
0: right?
1: Even if the, the judge is like a dyed oil Republican, and then they, they would ask him "What you have, So i like, well, "We don't have any." It's yeah. kind of hard. Well,
0: these were these were really good questions. Please keep them coming. We'll yeah, try I love to these get questions. to even even more next week. And I want to thank you all for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. Remember, you email your questions to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at politicon. Thanks for subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week as I think this ongoing saga will still be a lot to talk about with War Room planning for 2021. Thank you.